happy Sabbath to everyone. Saludos, hermanos. Bonjour, mes dames et messieurs. And uh, <clears throat> greetings to all our brethren around the world. We have a very beautiful uh, soloist here. We just thank you very much, uh, Dinah Winnell, for how beautiful you just sang. That was the title, how beautiful, and it was beautiful, uh, how beautiful the body of Christ. We want to wish uh, Dr. Scott Winnell and uh, Dinah uh, much uh, God's blessing as they move to Florida. And we're certainly going to miss them, and every time she sings, she just gets me a little teary-eyed. <clears throat> But uh, they uh, will have new responsibilities in Florida, and I know they'll do very well. <clears throat> we also send greetings to our brethren in France and uh, also to our Italian brethren. Tomorrow, Mr. Partian and our French brethren will be supporting the French in the World Cup match with Italy. Uh, this is for the World Championship. So it should be rather exciting, and then later on in the week, Mr. Partian will educate us all at headquarters regarding another major event five days later, uh, Bastille Day on July 14th. <clears throat> but how wonderful it will be in tomorrow's world when all of the true values of sports will be applied, the true values of life. God has called us to live his true values. But the world mainly lives by false values and crime. How many of you have been victims of a crime? Let me see your hands. Looks like about, uh, about a half of the audience has uh, been a victim of crime. I remember back in August 1962, I was preparing to drive from uh, Meriden, Connecticut to New York and then fly on to Burbank, California, to begin my freshman year at Ambassador College. And I was upstairs in my bedroom overlooking the backyard of the driveway. My brother-in-law and uh, sister were visiting. I looked out the bedroom window, and all of a sudden I saw out of the corner of my eye this bright orange shirt get into my brother-in-law's car. And a second later, it was backing out of the driveway and screeching down the roadway. And I went down immediately and I said to my brother-in-law, Dick, did you loan your car to anyone? He said, no. I said, well, it's just been stolen. I had witnessed with my own eyes my brother-in-law's car being stolen right out of the driveway. We immediately called the police and uh, within uh, probably about uh, 15 minutes, they had uh, caught the 16-year-old son of a uh, minister of the Church of God, Assembly of God minister, and uh, he was having a joyride. But you know, you feel victimized when you are the victim of a crime. My wife uh, had her car stolen from our Pasadena home. I believe it was Labor Day weekend, 1995. We had gone to Sabbath services in uh, my car and left her car in the driveway. And, of course, our home was near South Orange Grove, not too far from the 210 freeway. When we came back... The car was gone. So we immediately called the police, and the policewoman came and interviewed us. We did not hear about anything about that car for six weeks. Uh, finally ended up in a notorious town, which has a certain reputation. I'm sure not all of the citizens of Compton, California, are bad. But nonetheless, uh, here, our car, her car, 
was totally totaled. It was uh, in a storage yard. We got permission from the police to give a release form, which the insurance company wanted, so the insurance company could get the car. So I took the insurance uh, form or the police release form to the storage yard so that the insurance company could pick up the car uh, the next Monday. This was a Friday. So <clears throat> Monday, the insurance company called and said, well, why don't you uh, give this release form? We went to the storage yard, and they wouldn't give us the car. They said you didn't give them the release form. Yes, I had given them the release form. How many crooks are there in this world? It's just amazing. And uh, about that time on the car radio, I heard uh, that the uh, mayor of Compton had been indicted for some crime. It, you can't trust anyone. It says in Psalm, I won't turn there, Psalm 146, verse 3, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. No, I trusted the storage yard that they would pass on that release form to the insurance company. They didn't because they wanted to defraud the insurance company, keep that car day after day after day, and continually charge the insurance company for storage. Well, the insurance company got them, which I'm thankful for. But most of us know what it's like to be a victim of theft. We know what it's like to feel violated. But how many of us have victimized others? How many of us have borrowed without permission or taken something belonging to something else? Do we give or do we take? Give or take, and that's the title of the sermon, give or take question mark, has a different meaning. A dictionary meaning for the expression is plus or minus a small specified amount. Example, the chalet is close to the road, give or take a few hundred yards. Well, that's not the application of the title. Give or take means that we need to ask ourselves, are we givers or are we takers? Are we thieves or benefactors? Do we transgress the Eighth Commandment or do we fulfill the Eighth Commandment? Let's turn to Romans, the 13th chapter. Romans 13. Here we find the commandments of God, many of them listed here in Romans, the 13th chapter. The one allegedly who was doing away with the commandments of God actually confirms the commandments of God here in Romans 13. We begin in verse 7. Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute, or taxes to whom taxes, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, Respect to whom respect is due. Honor to whom honor. Verse 8 of Romans 13. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. Well, that's a generalized statement, but what are the specifics? Verse 9. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. God includes in this the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. And he says, love does no harm to his neighbor. Love is the fulfilling of the law, not the abrogation of the law. So let's today examine the eighth commandment. Let's also examine ourselves to see if we knowingly or unknowingly 
may be practicing stealing. We find it easy to identify thievery in the world and society, but we may not see it as easily in our own lives as we may not be fulfilling God's laws comprehensively as we should. Well, let's first of all take a look at the world's problem of stealing. It's rampant, and we could take uh, hours just describing the world's problems, but according to the Kiplinger letter, and this is October 28, 2005, a new United Nations effort to stop corruption won't help much. The goal is to provide more tools to countries to fight money laundering and other crimes that are hard to combat on a strictly national basis. But enforcement is left to the unfunded UN Office on Drugs and Crimes. The problem is getting worse in many top developing economies, notably China, Mexico, Brazil, Russia, and India. Bribery and fraud are also prevalent in Iraq, which will make the nation's reconstruction more difficult. Corruption undermines economic progress and investment. So here we are, just one simple evaluation of some of the countries that are rampant and rife with fraud and corruption. Another comment by Kiplinger, November 4, 2005. This is the Kiplinger letter. At the urging of U.S. businesses hit hard by counterfeit goods, Bush, that is President Bush, will turn up the heat on China and Russia, pressuring them to step up arrests and seize more bogus products. He's asking Beijing to show what it's doing to thwart counterfeiters. The U.S. doesn't think that the current efforts are enough, and he wants Moscow to crack down on counterfeiters before Russia is allowed to join the World Trade Organization. (laughs) You know, it's a world of counterfeiters. It's a world of thieves and robbers. This is uh, Business Week magazine. Again, in the Kiplinger comments, you talk about counterfeiters. This says, one of these Honda CG125 motorcycles is a Chinese knockoff. The term knockoff just means counterfeit. It says fakes. And so the global counterfeit business is out of control. This is February 7, 2005, Business Week. Targeting everything from computer chips to life-saving medicines. It's getting so bad that even China may need to crack down. And it uh, tells you which one of those uh, motorcycles is the real one. How big is the trade in fake goods? No one knows for sure, but the World Customs Organization estimates 7% of world merchandise trade, or $512 billion in 2004, may be bogus products. Now, I've been to places, I went to, a, confess, many years ago, uh, bought a watch at a pawn shop. And it was, probably was a knockoff, uh, counterfeit. It only cost me $10. I asked a friend of mine, what do you think this watch is worth? He says, oh, $150. Well, it just cost me $10. Now, we have to be aware of what are knockoffs and counterfeits. It's rampant. It's, a, it's incredible how much... Fraud is being perpetrated upon us around the world. I'm just going to share, give you a little little sampling of, of what kind of stealing and fraud is going on in the world. This is from the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners 
in a 2002 report to the nation, Occupational Fraud and Abuse. In that report, quote, certified fraud examiners estimated that 6% of revenues will be lost in 2002 as a result of occupational fraud and abuse. Applied to the U.S. gross domestic product, this translates to losses of approximately $600 billion, or about $4,500 per employee. So it's just rife within our whole corporations, within our business, the Enron scandal, and all of the other kinds of corporate fraud that are going on is costing billions and billions of dollars. $600 billion here, $512 billion in counterfeit goods. You just add it up. And what if that money were tithed on and used for God's work? Just incredible what our society is like. Some of you may know about shoplifters. I know as a pastor I've had to deal with some uh, young people distant past who got in trouble because of shoplifting. How bad is shoplifting? In 2005, U.S. retailers put the cost of shoplifting at more than $10 billion. Shoplifting accounted for 34% of the retail industry's lost inventory in 2005, up from 31% in 2000. On an average day in the United States, 5,400 people are detained for shoplifting. Are we a nation of thieves? Now, before you start condemning everyone else, again, let's be careful and see if we as God's people may be transgressing the Eighth Commandment in some way or other, and I'll give you some suggested ideas in which we can examine ourselves a little later. Then there's the ATMs. This is from the AARP Bulletin, January 2006. Over six days last October, at least 700 residents of Winston-Salem, North Carolina, found that money was stolen from their bank accounts after they had used the ATMs, the automated teller machines. The weapons used portable debit card readers and miniature spy cameras. We had more than $3,000 taken, says Susan Harris, one of the victims. Like thousands of bank customers across the country, Harris was a victim of ATM scamming, a scam that led to nearly $3 billion in losses last year. That's just the surface. We're just doing a sampling. Identity theft finds easy money hard to resist. New York Times, July 4, 2006, just a few days ago. Stolen lives, subhead to the article. Identity thief finds easy money hard to resist. Here is a uh, 20-year-old arrested for identity theft in which he had taken well over $150,000 in cash and merchandise in his brief career. It's an addiction, no doubt about that, the young man says. He says, it's easy. He says, uh, Working like three hours today, three hours tomorrow, $20,000. Once he knew what he was doing, it was all too easy. Identity theft, says this article in the New York Times, identity theft can, of course, have its origins in a pilfered wallet or an emptied mailbox. But for computer-savvy thieves like Mr. Sharma, the Internet has forged new conduits for the crime, both as a means of stealing identity and account information as the place to use it. I hope that your identity is not stolen. 
You steal money, you steal goods, but your identity can be stolen, meaning that someone has your credit card, has access to your bank account, and can take it at will. And this young man was able to find an easy way of doing it. There are other types of robbery and and theft in the world. There is piracy on the high seas. And this article is from the New York Times, uh, July 3rd, just a few days ago. Pirates hijacking ships. And it gives a photo here of these hijackers with a shoulder uh, missile firing. They had machine guns and other weapons. Uh, The heading is... Headline is, Waters That Prompt Fear from the Toughest of Sailors. And the feature is about Somalia. There are other places, the Indian Ocean, and uh, other areas that uh, have continual piracy. In 2005 and through March of this year, 19 ships like this El Ma'an near Mogadishu, a photo of a cargo ship, were hijacked off Somalia as pirates sought ransom. So now we have piracy. And there are locations like Somalia where the State Department says, warns uh, ships, stay at least 200 miles away from the coast of Somalia. You may be hijacked. So far in uh, 2006, uh, global piracy has increased slightly uh, by 8% compared to last year. And here locally, just some of the headlines. I don't want to bore you with all the theft, because if you've been a victim, you know what it's like. Thirteen robberies in six hours in the city. This is Charlotte Mecklenburg, our own community here. Three Lincoln County teens charged with counterfeiting. Here in our own uh, local area, three Lincoln County teens took the idea of making money too far, police say, using a scanner and personal computer to print Counterfeit $10 and $20 bills on standard copy uh, paper. On standard copy paper. Well, they got caught. Then uh, in England, thieves are going around stealing uh, heavy two-ton sculptures, bronze sculptures. So nothing, nothing is uh, sacred. Everything is a target and can be stolen. But would you like to be called a thief? Uh, Just let me give you some of the definitions. This is from uh, a thesaurus on uh, the word thief, but there are various kinds. Bandit, brigand, an armed thief who is usually a member of a band. Shoplifter, uh, a thief who steals goods that are in a store. Burglar, a thief who enters a building with intent to steal. Body snatcher, ghoul, grave robber. Someone who takes bodies from graves and sells them for anatomical dissection. This is rampant. It's being sold. Body parts are being sold. Uh, You can read the articles about what's happening in China. Uh, Bodies and body parts are becoming a part, a very marketable item these days. Grave robber. Someone who steals valuables from graves or crypts. Literary pirate. Pirate, plagiarizer, plagiarist, plagiarizer. Someone who uses another person's words or ideas as if they were his own. Robber, a thief who steals from someone by threatening violence. There are certain distinctions for these categories, robber, uh, shoplifter, bandit, burglar. Cattle thief, rustler, someone who steals livestock. Is cattle rustling just kind of a Western history story? 
My wife and I were driving through uh, Saskatchewan on our way to uh, from Medicine Hat to uh, Maple Creek uh, some years ago. And uh, we were being driven there by one of our church members, and uh, I kept seeing these signs with uh, Crime Watch. And it had a kind of a cloak and, and dagger man there, but uh, it says, try to be alert to crime. And in that part of Saskatchewan, all you saw were bare hills, not even trees, not even a bush, not even a house. I said to my, my host, I said, what can be stolen here? He says, cattle. That cattle thieves were out. They would drive up a whole cattle van and steal whole herds of cattle in Saskatchewan. And so they were trying to have people. So cattle thieves, you know, that's not ancient. Cracksman, safe breaker, safe cracker. A thief who opens safes to steal valuable content. Snatcher, a thief who grabs and runs. A purse snatcher. Pilferer, sneak thief, snitcher. A thief who steals without using violence. So would you want to be called any of those names? I don't think you'd, you'd like to be called any of those names. Have you practiced any of the transgressions of the Eighth Commandment? Now, what would happen if the whole world would practice the Eighth Commandment? We'd have a different world. Instead of $500 billion lost in uh, fake merchandise, uh, no, we'd have a prosperous world. It could be very, very different. An Australian woman nicknamed the catch-me-if-you-can thief appeared in court Friday. This is just from yesterday's Reuters. Charged with 34 counts of fraud after she was arrested with more than 100 fake identities and wigs. Jody Harris, 28, wanted in three states over a string of audacious identity thefts, has been on the run for years, taunting police to try and catch her. Local media have dubbed Harris the catch-me-if-you-can thief after the movie in which actor Leonardo DiCaprio played a master con man. She allegedly telephoned detectives, taunting them and offering up false promises to surrender. She had assumed identities of at least five women in Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne after meeting them socially. So she would meet women and get their information. Uh, she allegedly sold identity documents such as driver's license and tricked bank staff into giving her access to the women's accounts, robbing them more of 250000 Australian dollars, local media reported from the uh, court. So we have to be defensive and be alert to um, crime in our society so that we won't be victimized. Those are just some of the samplings of what is going on. Let's turn to John, the 10th chapter, and see that this is Satan's way of life. What we see in the world in its piracy on the high seas, in identity thefts, in knockoffs or counterfeit goods. That is Satan's way of life. John, the 10th chapter, starting with verse 7. And Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life, they may have it more abundantly. He talks about here, in a sense, the very battle plan, the strategic approach of Satan, who comes to steal and kill and destroy. 
Today, society is following Satan's way. But do you have any of that nature? Let's turn to Matthew, the 15th chapter, Matthew 15. And it's very difficult for some of us to admit and to actually see the reality of our human nature. When Jesus was asked about not washing hands, as was the custom of the Pharisees before they, they rubbed their hands in the, uh, before eating food in a very ritualistic way, and Jesus is describing, look, verse 18 of Matthew 15, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. They defile the man. For out of the heart, he's talking about human beings. If you're a human being, uh, maybe you have these characteristics. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defiles not the man. We have to admit and come to understand that we have human nature. And we individually have exemplified and, uh, many of these very characteristics, if not in the letter, in the spirit. And we have to repent of those attitudes. We have to recognize that we do have human nature. I've told you the story before on the baptizing tour of asking people as we met them going across the southeastern part of the United States in 1964. Well, um, what do you think about your past life? Oh, well, I've been good all my life. Well, have you ever done anything wrong? Well, I did steal an apple one time. And the other individual says, I've been good. You see, I've been good all my life. They see it from the external point. They cannot see the lust, the vanity, the greed, the human nature that each of us is and has. And before anyone should really be baptized, he or she has got to come to see that human nature, which is vanity, jealousy, lust, greed, and theft as a part of it. There are famous thieves that we can take a look at, and I don't think you want to be in their category. Matthew, the 27th chapter. Matthew 27. Now, we have all stolen in one way or another, and we'll examine some of those aspects a little later, but notice in Matthew 27, verse 32, Jesus was going to be crucified down through this particular section. And they said over his head, verse 37, the accusation written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the left. It's rather shocking to think that someone would be crucified for being a thief. And uh, we can do some more research in that, but that's what they were. And, of course, they slandered Christ. Who else was <clears throat> a thief? John, the 18th chapter. John 18. We all admit that we have stolen something in the past. John 18, verse 39. Another famous uh, thief. This was Pilate <clears throat> was uh, asking uh, Jesus what is truth. Then verse 39 of John 18, but you have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Here he's 
uh, talking to the crowd after he's interrogating Jesus. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? They cried, then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Now, he was also a, an insurrectionist and had murdered, but the scripture says that he was a robber. He had committed rebellion, Mark 15, verse 7. John, the 12th chapter, gives us another famous thief. I think you know who this one is without even looking at the scripture. John 12 and verse 5. Here, Jesus was blessed with this woman who anointed him with this fragrant oil. John 12 and verse 5. But Judas says, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put in there. He was the treasurer, and he was a thief. I won't uh, turn there, but just to mention about Rachel, uh, Genesis 31, verses 32 through 35, uh, where, you know, Jacob had worked years for Rachel and Leah and then left the family. And uh, Laban accused Jacob of stealing his household gods. He hadn't stolen them. Who stole them? Rachel had stolen. And uh, Jacob says to Laban, uh, Genesis 31:32, "With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live." The death penalty was pronounced upon Rachel. And uh, she did live a while, but she died in childbirth. Uh, when she gave birth to Benjamin. Rachel had taken the household idols and had put them in the camel saddle. Now, in the future, we are going to be judges and kings and priests, and we're going to be teaching the statutes of God and the, all of the applications of the Eighth Commandment. And the statutes give us specifics of how to apply, Thou shalt not steal. Let's turn to Exodus, the 22nd chapter, and take a look at a couple of those applications. Exodus 22. We do not want to be thieves. We want to be former thieves who have been forgiven of our past and who have overcome and have changed. Exodus, the 22nd chapter, gives us some statutes regarding thievery. Exodus 22 and... Verse 1, if a man steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox or five sheep for a sheep. Now, do we apply that in our common law in the United States? If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. If he's caught and he's killed in the process of stealing, then there's no blood shed for him. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him, for he shall make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. He becomes a bond servant. If he doesn't have the money to pay the fivefold uh, penalty, uh, five oxen for an ox or four sheep for a sheep, uh, then he's got to work it off as a bond servant. If the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, whether he be an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall restore double. So they find the animal alive, then they can restore the original animal, but he's got to restore double. If a man cause a field or vineyard, verse, vineyard, verse 5, to be eaten, 
and shall put in his beast and shall feed in another man's field of the best of his own field or of the best of his own vineyard shall he make restitution. So have you defrauded anyone or taken money from anyone and not restored? Think about it. I remember one time I had a <laughs> borrowed a shirt from a college uh, friend, and I believe it was about two or three years later I discovered I still have my friend's shirt and uh, finally was able to get his address and mail it back to him. And I was thankful for uh, God's statutes and his judgments and that we are to restore that which we have taken and not restored. He goes on here to show about if you've even borrowed something. You, you deliver someone money, verse 7, money or stuff to keep, and it be stolen out of the man's house. If the thief be found, let him pay double. So you... You, you're going on a trip and you want some valuables to be uh, taken care of by your neighbor and someone steals your goods from your neighbor's home. And he even tells you what to do about that particular case. Uh, verse uh, 10, If a man deliver unto his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep, and it die or be hurt or driven away, no man seeing it, then shall an oath of the eternal be between them both that he has not put his hand unto his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept it thereof, and he shall not make it good. But if be stolen from him, he shall make restitution unto the owner thereof. Then again, verse 14, If a man borrow of his neighbor, and it be hurt or die, the owner thereof, not being with it, he shall surely make it good. I remember one time uh, when he had uh, Big Sandy, we had racquetball. Uh, courts and I used to play racquetball and I borrowed a racket from a racket from some of my friends and broke it. <laughs> I had to replace it. I thought, you know, I shouldn't borrow things. If I'm going to break it, then I have to buy him a racket. Then I've got to buy myself a racket. So when you borrow, you are responsible for the value of that item. He goes on uh, here, but if the owner thereof be with it, he shall not make it good. If it be a hired thing. It came for his hire. So these are some of the statutes. Now, Exodus 21, verse 15. What about stealing a human being, which is horrible in our society? There is a slave trade going on in many parts of the world. Kidnapping, God says, should be punished by death. Exodus 21, verse 15. And he that smites his mother or father shall surely be put to death. This is just coming up to verse 16, but just to show you, uh, young people and uh, all of us who have children, you children need to understand how serious disrespect to parents is. He that smites his father or mother shall surely be put to death. You know, I thought about that one time when I God began to call me, and I began to really see myself because I had disrespected my parents and uh, I thought I guess it was in my 20s about 24 25 and I remembered as a little boy slapping my dad in the face and then I read the scripture uh, whoa you know I should have been put to death you know 20 years ago or 15 years ago and God had mercy on me to let me live so I could come to repentance but it's a very serious crime to do something like that. Now here's the kidnapping clause, verse 16, Exodus 21. And he that steals a man and sells him 
or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. The kidnapper will be put to death. So these are crimes that God takes very seriously and uh, require in this particular case the death penalty. Let's take one other look here, Deuteronomy 24, uh, verse 7. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 7. If a man is found kidnapping any of his brethren of the children of Israel and mistreats him or sells him, then that kidnapper shall die, and you shall put away evil from among you. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 7. I mentioned how slavery is rampant in various parts of the world. Mr. Davis is writing an article on slavery that may appear in one of our publications that will give you a broad perspective on just how rampant uh, that is, but this is from the Jerusalem Post, April 26, 2006, entitled Thwarting Slavery. Just two weeks ago, Jews around the world celebrated Pesach, or Passover, which emphasizes the Jewish people's escape from slavery and oppression in Egypt. The themes of redemption and freedom, cornerstones upon which the nascent Jewish nation are built, were built, still resonate today. There is a bitter irony, therefore, in the release of a United Nations report this week, which found that Israel is among the top destinations of trafficking in humans for sexual exploitation or forced labor. The report, Trafficking in Humans or Persons, Global Patterns, identified 132 destination countries into which victims are smuggled. Israel was among the top ten. They do have a slave trade for sex in Tel Aviv and uh, in Israel. It brings out here that between 600,000 and 800,000 people, mostly women and children, are trafficked across borders every year. In Israel, government sources indicate that over 3,000 women have been trafficked into the country, most of them from the former Soviet Union. So God condemns Kidnapping. It's stealing another person. And it is a precursor of the tribulation uh, where it says in Revelation 18.13 that part of the beast power, economic power, is trading in cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine and oil. This is Revelation 18.13. Fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. So slaves are going to be traded under the beast power in the future. Now, what about us? How do we approach the Eighth Commandment in our own life? I'm going to skip over some of these and take a look at some of the modern applications. When I was a transportation engineer in Norfolk, Virginia, That was in 1961, 1962. The 1960 census data had just come out. And it was in hard volumes published, maybe I don't know how many, 10 or 15 volumes. And it was available for review at the local newspaper there in Norfolk, Virginia. And I, as a transportation engineer working with the Regional Planning Commission, said, this is a wealth of data. I would love to have this data. Well, I went down to the newspaper, and I was going to start photocopying some of the data for our studies. 
And I saw warnings that this shall not be photocopied. And so, and I, I struggled, I struggled with that. And I, as a, uh, administrator and, uh, engineer in the regional planning commission wanted that data. I wanted it so badly that it was a struggle. I had to go home and I prayed and prayed. I want that data, but no, you shouldn't do it. It's, it's, it's wrong. I want that data, but no, you shouldn't do it. It's, it's wrong. And I struggled and struggled and struggled and prayed and realized finally God helped me to get the right perspective. Do you want that data or do you want to be in the kingdom of God? And when I realized the kingdom of God is a lot more important than that data, God gave me a peace of mind and I overcame that temptation. Now, there was a practical solution which didn't occur to me at the time. We could have spent a few thousand dollars and gotten those volumes and and brought them right into the Regional Planning Commission at the time. So... Do you transgress the Eighth Commandment by photocopying, in our modern application, photocopying copyrighted material? In this case, it was really a struggle for me. Now, we at headquarters at uh, the Living Church of God really try to abide by the laws of the land. If we're going to teach that you should not steal in whatever manner or form, we want to practice that. Mr. Turner let me uh, borrow this uh, book, which we have in our legal department, Church Law and Tax Report, the Church Guide to Copyright Law. And so there are various laws that give you uh, certain rights, fair use to certain materials that are copyrighted. Just read uh, one or two sections from this. Duplicating equipment. Uh, Most churches have a duplicating machine. The making of copies of copyrighted materials, literary or musical, often will constitute copyright infringement. Exceptions do exist. And then uh, it goes on to uh, fair use. Section 107 of the Copyright Act specifies that the fair use of a copyrighted work, the purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, including multiple copies for classroom use, Scholarship or research is not an infringement of copyright. So there is a section called fair use of copyrighted material in which it is not illegal, in which you are not transgressing the Eighth Commandment to make photocopies. Uh, Hymnals. Hymnals raise a number of copyright issues. First, a hymnal ordinarily is a collective work, meaning that it is eligible for copyright protection. The fact that a hymnal is copyrighted does not in any way extend or affect the copyright protection of any work included in the hymnal. When we organized our hymnal, and we really certainly appreciate all the hard work Mr. Charles Bryce did and his staff of organizing our church hymnal, we touched base with all of those who had owned the copyrights to certain hymns that we wanted in our hymnal. And we paid some of the individuals for the right to copy some of those hymns in our hymnals. Some were gracious and uh, just uh, gave us the the benefit of that without uh, having to pay for it. So we thank those who were able to do that or were kind enough to do that. Um, There are guidelines. Uh, Mr. Turner gave me an outline of uh, 
questions that will help one decide whether it is a fair use uh, question or not. If I can have enough space. This is a, a checklist for fair, fair use. Uh, favoring fair use. Teaching, research, scholarship, nonprofit institution, criticism, comment, news reporting, uh, parody, but uh, opposing fair use. On the other hand, is the purpose for which you're copying commercial activity, profiting from the use, entertainment, bad faith behavior, denying credit to the original author. It goes on with other criteria here, nature, amount, effect, and so forth. There's copyright, uh, copylaw.com. can give you uh, other guidelines if you are concerned about what is fair use and what is not fair use. So we have that modern application. We're very thankful again that we have the Bible hymnal. Just interestingly enough, uh, this was just uh, brought out on the Worldwide Church of God uh, website, wcg.org. Dwight Armstrong hymns are now in the public domain. Worldwide Church of God officials announced on June 26, 2006, that it is placing all Dwight Armstrong composed hymns to which it owns the copyright into the public domain. Effective immediately, any person or group who wishes to copy or use these hymns may do so without receiving permission from the church. Time has proven that numerous persons wish to use these hymns in praise and worship of the church, and the church wishes to facilitate such use. Church officials have said that the works released into the public domain are only those hymns by Dwight Armstrong to which the church holds the copyright. Uh, no other hymns or materials of any kind are being placed into the public domain, and the responsibility is on the user to ascertain whether the work it wishes to use is one of the released hymns. So do you photocopy illegally copyrighted material? I had to struggle over that in my own pers- professional um, work at that time. What about copying computer software? Some of our young people have a habit of copying computer software. It saves you $200, $400 to buy your own copy of software. Our information technology department is very careful to license our office software to all our users. Mr. Joshua Beatty, and you can talk to him afterwards, uh, monitors the purchase and the use of our software programs. I've asked personally for people to check on, can I have this copy of this particular software program on my office computer and a copy of it at my home computer? In some cases, it's okay. In some cases, it is not. You have to read the license agreement to make that determination. So are you stealing in a way that God prohibits in this modern application? Okay, of uh, the Eighth Commandment. What about borrowing without permission? Years ago at Ambassador College was rather habitual for uh, women to borrow co-ed's dresses. They have a roommate and say, well, my roommate's not around and she's about the same size I am and I've really got a date and really I like her dress. I'm going to just borrow her dress, you know, for the evening and borrow without permission. This was just rather a habit. But you realize that that kind of a habit is destroying godly character. Borrowing without permission is stealing. Now, you might have had a 
a pre-agreement uh, with that and instead of, let's turn to Exodus 22, uh, well, I, oh, we already read that, Exodus 22:14. If a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it becomes injured or dies, the owner of it not being with it, he shall surely make it good. So sometimes we just borrow and borrow without uh, permission. We should not do that. Books are a common thing, and uh, I know my wife and I, just before services, someone said, we loaned you such and such, we like to have it back. And I thought, oh, where is that? We're going to have to search our whole house now to find the borrowed item someone loaned to us. And uh, so please forgive us uh, if we can't find it. We'll try. We have to make restitution if we can't find it. <clears throat> but... And books, uh, I have, you know, hundreds of books and hundreds of books, and you want to put your name in it. And uh, I've loaned my books out and never gotten them back. And uh, so I've tried from time to time, have a little system. I even have a, a page on my computer called Loans. At such and such a date, I loaned this book to so-and-so. I haven't kept that up too well. But one of the things that is showing love is if you have loaned something and someone has forgotten about it, just show that person love and remind him or her, look, you have my book. You've had it now for five years. I think it's about time that you, you return it to me. And we are forgetful people. What we sh- Manasseh means forgetting, by the way. Forgetful. But uh, remind people. Now, Exodus 23, verse 4 and 5. Uh, if you find a lost item, what do you do? Exodus 23. I remember when I first read this, we were up in Globals, Michigan, and uh, Horace got away from uh, a local uh, home uh, uh, farm, and uh, we tried to corral it and return it to its owner. Exodus uh, 23 and uh, verse 4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him. And if you see the donkey of him that hates you lying under his burden, and you would forbear to help him, you shall surely help him. So even if it's a lost item from an enemy, God says, you shall return it to him. It's one of the positive applications of the Eighth Commandment. I remember uh, my wife uh, discovered a parrot in our backyard, our side yard in Rancho Bernardo. And uh, Mrs. Davis came over and helped to uh, capture it through a, a a towel over it, and we put it, and she had a cage. And it wasn't our parrot, but I called, uh, we went on the Internet, and we called uh, the pet uh, organizations in the area. But what really worked was that we put signs in the neighborhood that we have, I forget what kind of a parrot was, uh, in the neighborhood, and about two days later, a neighbor four blocks up the hill uh, came to our house, and they had a family, and they said they were about, going to take the parrot and get its wings cut so it couldn't fly away. But uh, nonetheless, it flew away, and uh, we found it. But we were able, the family was very happy to have their parrot back. We want to do what we can to restore something that is lost. On a more serious note, do we cheat on our income taxes? I think most of God's people do not. We want to take advantage of whatever legal approaches and uh, say, uh, deductions that are legally allowable. But uh, anyway, uh, 
the CNNmoney.com, do you cheat on your taxes? Most taxpayers say they don't, but more admit to doing so than in previous years. Uh, New York, uh, April 9th, 2004. Few of us actually want to pay taxes, yet most of us do. But have you ever cheated just a little to save yourself some money? 81% of Americans said that no amount of cheating on their income taxes is acceptable, according to a July 2003 Roper poll conducted for the IRS Oversight Board. That's still below the 86% of honest souls who said they wouldn't cheat in 2002 and 87% who said they would not cheat in 1999. And the CNN Money did its own survey and said that 76% of us said we would never cheat on our income tax. But the National Taxpayer Advocate uh, gives an estimate that the annual gap between what taxpayers owed and what they actually paid totaled $311 billion in 2001. So do we steal? Do we steal our taxes? Do we steal from others? We can also steal time. Um, I won't turn there, but Proverbs 18.9 says that he who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. So again, you can steal from your employer, from your company, just by being slothful. Luke 17.10 says, So likewise you, when you have done all these things which are commanded, you say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what our duty is to do. Now, the positive aspect of applying the Eighth Commandment be in voluntary service, and we appreciate those who continually volunteer at our headquarters building, those who have volunteered in the past. They are givers. They are not takers. Mr. Meredith's semiannual letter to the Tomorrow World magazine subscribers is being mailed out to about 280 2,000, I think it is, uh, subscribers around the world. This is a report from uh, the Australian office in Adelaide, which they recently set up. The Adelaide Brethren have expressed their desire to help the work in some way. This desire was given an opportunity for fulfillment with the need of Mr. Meredith's semi-annual letter to be mailed to Tomorrow's World subscribers throughout Australia. On Sunday, July 25, 2006, The members of the Adelaide Church came together at the Clarendon Historical Society Hall to fill and address about 14,000 envelopes, beginning at 7.30 a.m. with the setup of the hall and finishing at 5.30 p.m. The brethren, under the supervision of headquarters office staff manager, Mr. Robert Tyler, worked hard to complete this massive task in one day. Even a lunch break had to be enforced by Mr. Tyler because of the enthusiasm of the brethren. Wonderful fellowship was enjoyed throughout the day, both while working and during the barbecue lunch and afterward uh, the afternoon tea break, bringing to mind Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. At 5.30 p.m., the vast majority of the work was finished, and the semi-annual letter was almost ready to be mailed. The brethren left Clarendon that evening feeling tired but fulfilled in doing their little bit to help God's work. So that's the positive aspect 
of the Eighth Commandment. Instead of taking, you're giving, you're serving, you're helping. We need to examine ourselves. Are we fulfilling God's law of love in all aspects of the Eighth Commandment? Are we giving rather than taking? Are we illegally photocopying copyrighted material? Are we illegally copying computer software or copyrighted publications or music? Are we borrowing items and not returning them to their owners? Do we steal time from our employers or waste other people's time? <laughs> Think about gossipers, you know. <clears throat> are, sloth, are we slothful or are we profitable servants? Well, we can't overcome that. We can overcome that nature of greed. How many of you saw the movie some years ago called Wall Street? Anyone remember the uh, movie Wall Street? Just a few of you. In that movie, the character Gordon Gecko was played by Michael Douglas. And there was a famous quote from that movie that rather made the movie uh, interesting. He, of course, is a market manipulator on Wall Street. And this is what he says. This is the character in Wall Street, Gordon Gecko. Quote, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. <laughs> you know, isn't that really the epitome? It just seems to be the summary of what mankind is all about. He just wants to get he doesn't want to give. Actually, that quote was uh, based on a real-life statement by trader Ivan Bosky, uh, who said to the graduating class at UC Berkeley in 1986 the following. So here is a graduating class at UC Berkeley, and Ivan Bo Bosky, who was uh, an inside trader, or a trader, T-R-A-D-E-R, not uh, the other, he says, quote, I think greed is healthy. You can be greedy and sti still feel good about yourself. End of quote. Let's turn to Proverbs, the 15th chapter, and see if the Bible agrees with Ivan Bosky or with Gordon Gecko in the movie Wall Street. Proverbs, the 15th chapter. Proverbs 15. And verse 27. <clears throat> He that is greedy of gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes shall live. Then Proverbs 21, verse 25. So the Bible disagrees with Ivan Bosky, and it's not healthy. It troubles one's own house. Proverbs 21, verse 25. The desire of the slothful kills him, or he the desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. He covets greedily all the day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. So the lazy man is greedy. He doesn't want to work for it. Uh, he wants everything given to him on a silver platter. James, the first chapter, and verse 1. What is the nature of God? The nature of God, as you know, is the one of giving. Every good and perfect gift is from above. James 1, 17. 
and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. And he shows that perfect gift by his willingness to beget us as his children. Again, the New King James has brought us forth, which is not as clear as the King James, of his own will begat he us with a word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creation. God gave his own life in us through the Holy Spirit and begetting us with a word of truth. That's why we can understand the truth, which is so, so very much precious. So when God gives to us, do we steal from him? You're wondering when that question was going to come up. Malachi, the third chapter. Malachi 3. God is giving, and we have to reflect his nature. We heard in the opening prayer that we might become more like God, like he is. And he is a giver. He is urging his audience, that is Malachi, is urging his audience to to repent. He says, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Malachi 3, verse 6, because I change not. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, giving them time to repent. He says, return unto me, and I will return unto you, says the eternal of hosts. End of verse 7. But you said, wherein shall we return? He's telling you, change your life. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed you? God answers, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. You have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and test me. Prove me now herewith, says the Eternal of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that shall not be room enough to receive it. So God challenges all of us and the nation. He says, this whole nation has robbed me. Are we a nation of thieves? Well, we are a nation of adulterers. We're a nation of liars. But we are also a nation of thieves. We'll get on to that perhaps a little little later. I want to encourage all of you to read our booklet, God's People Tithe, that gives you the information, basic information, on tithing. Mr. Meredith wrote an article in the March-April 2001 Tomorrow's World magazine, Should You Tithe? And that went out to the public at large. Mr. Charles Bryce gave a thorough sermon on tithing uh, titled, Diligent Tithing and Abundant Blessings, number 258 in the sermon library. You can find it in uh, perhaps in our own local library or you can download it from our Church of God website, www.cogl.org. So you'll have to search for it, but uh, you can download that sermon. It's a very comprehensive sermon on tithing and tells you about the various uh, principles in tithing. Uh, We're happy to report that many of our teenagers and youth are practicing tithing, and they're reaping those benefits. Mr. Ruddleston was telling us about uh, teaching at the Living Youth Camp last summer, the principles of tithing to our youth. And uh, we're very happy that they are beginning to uh, or are practicing tithing. And I hope you parents are teaching your children the principles of tithing 
I remember as a little boy in Sunday school. I don't know how old I was, but every Sunday when the offering plate came around, Mom had me put that 10 cents in the offering plate. You know, it was a matter of learning to to give, even at that particular period of time. So I hope you parents are teaching that. The 2006 festival brochure also has comments on the festival tithe. So I hope you read that as well. Now, some of you may be having financial difficulties. Well, if you are, counsel with your pastor. I'm talking not only to the local congregation here, but to our congregations around the world. Counsel with your local pastor. God's financial system assists the poor. We have the welfare tithe, or the third tithe, for that very purpose. The church supports widows and the poor around the world. If you have been faithful in your welfare tithe, you can claim the promise of Deuteronomy 26. And I remember doing it at the end of my third tithe year. Uh, Deuteronomy 26. Just, just let's take a look at that. It's a wonderful blessing that you have not borrowed from that tithe for other purposes. You have dedicated that tithe for the purpose of helping the poor and the widows. And uh, Deuteronomy 26 and uh, verse 12. When you have made an end of tithing all the tithes of your increase the third year, which is the year of tithing, and have given it unto the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat within your gates and be filled. Then, if you've been faithful after all this time, you shall say before the Eternal your God, I have brought away the hallowed things out of my house, and also have given them to the Levite, to the stranger, the fatherless, to the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed the commandments, neither have I forgotten I have not eaten thereof in my mourning. I, in other words, I haven't borrowed from this, this tithe for other purposes. I've been faithful in dedicating that amount of money for its intended purpose. I have not eaten thereof in my mourning. Neither have I taken away aught thereof for any unclean use, nor given aught thereof for the dead. But I have hearkened to the voice of the Eternal my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Now that I've been faithful in this, I'm claiming your blessing. And this is the blessing. Verse 15. Look down from your holy habitation, from heaven, and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us, as you swore unto our fathers a land that flows with milk and honey. You can claim a blessing on God's people and God's church if you have been faithful in that welfare tithe. It's a wonderful experience, and I hope most of you have done that. And if you haven't, Claim that promise if you've been faithful in your tithing. Do you give to the poor? Another positive application of the Eighth Commandment. Proverbs 19, verse 17. Of course, you might, uh, as you go through the book of Proverbs, you may have, as I have in some cases, put a dollar sign next to those principles that have to do with financial management. And this is a wonderful blessing here. Uh, Proverbs 19, verse 17. He who has pity upon the poor lends unto the eternal, and he, capital H-E, meaning God, he will pay back what he has given. I found this to be true in my own life. That I remember, well, I, I, maybe I should tell, I had given a certain uh, aid to a certain person, and it was quite a substantial bit, bit of money, and I said, 
Well, God, you know, I've given all this money, and then, uh, you know, where's my return <laughs> from this? But it was a surprising, after my attitude got straightened out, uh, God blessed me with a, an unexpected blessing. You cannot, cannot outgive God. You give to the poor, it's like loaning money to God. You like to loan money to God? He's going to pay it back to you. And he's going to pay it back to you in blessings that will be unexpected and in a special way that uh, will be very encouraging to you. We all have to be faithful stewards. Matthew 25, verse 19. And, of course, that's the parable of the pounds. God says in this parable, look, you give account. I've given you these blessings, these talents. What have you done with it? Give account for it. And in... uh, Verse uh, 21, his Lord said unto the one who gained five talents from his original five. Matthew 25, 21, his Lord said unto him, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter you into the joy of your Lord. He'd been a faithful steward. We take that responsibility at headquarters in terms of managing the income faithfully because they are not our monies, they are God's monies. They are the tithes and offerings of God's people, donations from co-workers, and they are for God's purpose. We have a mission. The mission is to preach the gospel and to feed the flock. And we have a responsibility for accounting for that money. Uh, We have an accounting department that does an excellent job. And we have auditors who come every year. And we've had our finances audited for 2005, and the auditing report will appear in the July-August edition of the Living Church News to let you see where your, where your money, God's money, has gone, and that we have been faithful and accurate in accounting for all those monies. And you will see that the administrative, the three areas, administration, feeding the flock, and preaching the gospel are all in a very good proportion. The administration percentages are very low, lower than other churches. And so we are thankful for that. But on the other hand, there are church members who in their checks, and I've made this mistake too, so I'm not to realize it does happen, that when I open the envelopes that come from the bank every, every day, every week, I get uh, reports from BB&T where the, our tithe checks have been deposited, NSF or uh, insufficient funds. And because whoever wrote out the tithe check didn't have enough money in his bank account or her bank account to, to uh, cover that particular check. And sometimes it amounts up to thousands of dollars a month. And I've encouraged our brethren publicly before in sermons, and I will encourage you again. Please try to be a faithful accountant steward of the funds that you have. God gives you blessings. When you write out a check to headquarters, please try to make sure you have enough money in your bank account so that we don't have to get the check back from the bank saying insufficient funds. So, again, we want to have the balance and uh, balance our accounts as well, for that matter. Now, uh, just... uh, One other little article along that line, it's from MSN Money. A balanced checkbook? Now that's sexy. Lovers say fiscal responsibility is twice as important as sexual harmony. 
by Liz Pulliam Weston. When it comes to finding lasting love, financial responsibility beats out, I won't mention the term here, at least according to a survey commissioned by Credit Scoring, the survey of 1,022 American adults conducted by Opinion Research Group asked what two personal traits were most important to a long-term relationship. The answers, faithfulness and honesty, came out first and second, selected by 53% and 52%. Financial responsibility was third, selected by 22% of the respondents. Uh, sense of humor was number four, 18%. Sexual compatibility came in fifth, selected by just 10% of the respondents. Uh, I better not read some of that. But anyway, the traits, number one, are faithfulness, number one, honesty, number two, f financial responsibility, three, sense of humor, four, and sexual compatibility. But we are living in dangerous times in the end time. We realize that as people are stealing, robbing, even pirates on the high seas, hijacking huge cargo ships, that we as God's people have to set the example of integrity and honesty, not only in the negative aspects of the Eighth Commandment, but in the positive aspects of the Tenth Commandment, Eighth Commandment. And I want to encourage all of you, of course, to be reading Mr. Meredith's booklet on the Ten Commandments, which gives us a very good outline and uh, exhortation and insight into each of the Ten Commandments. We are called to be honest and to be givers, not takers. God in indicts the nation, as I've said, even on the telecast. Are we a nation of adulterers? In Jeremiah 23.10, For the land is full of adulterers, for because of a curse the land mourns. And we are a nation of deceivers and liars. Second John 1, verse 6 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world and do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And God calls his people a sinful nation in Isaiah, the first chapter. He says, Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards, and they do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Many years ago, in the United States in News and World Report, Marvin Stone wrote an editorial, A Nation of Thieves? Question mark. He said one major concern of one major business executive is the revelation of business crimes that, as he says, pop up at you from every issue of the daily press. There is little doubt about it, he says, we have become a nation of thieves. The only way are we going to get a handle on ballooning prices is through a complete change in national attitudes. And this change must begin with government. When our leadership is honest, intelligent, frugal, fair, and acts indiscriminately with guts, you'll see some changes. Until then, it makes no difference how you manipulate money. So are we a nation of thieves? Are we a church of benefactors and honest people who do not take or steal, but we give? Let's examine ourselves, brethren, and ask some pointed questions. 
Do we steal from our employees, employers, or others? Steal time? Do we borrow items and not return them? Do we illegally photocopy copyrighted material? Do we illegally copy software, music, movies, or videos? Do we steal tithes and offerings from God who gives us every breath of life we breathe? Are we careless in accounting for our blessings or are we faithful stewards? We need to apply the positive aspect of the Eighth Commandment. We need to give of our physical goods to the poor. We need to give of our time and service to God's work and to God's people. We need to be benefactors and not thieves. We need to be givers and not getters. It says in Acts 20 and verse 35 in the Moffat translation, quoting Jesus, it's happier to give than to get. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. So let's be like him in every way.